Welcome to Writers Talking TV, brought to you by the Writers Guild of Canada. I'm Dennis McGrath. Less Than Kind entered its third season confronted by the greatest challenge a series can face, the death of a leading cast member. Maury Chaikin, who played patriarch Sam Blecker, died while writing for the third season was already underway, forcing a complete rethink of the season and the show itself. Remarkably, Less Than Kind has retained the mix of comedy and pathos that's garnered the show awards and acclaim throughout its run. We're pleased to be joined tonight by show creators Marvin Kaye and Chris Shaysgreen and showrunner and executive producer Mark McKinney. The following contains language which may not be suitable for all listeners. If you're lame. Okay, well, welcome everybody. This is nice. What a great turnout. Uh, we've uh, wanted to do this for a very long time, um, and uh, it was a Herculean task coming up with a date that we all could make here. Uh, but we're so, so pleased to have um, uh, Chris Chase Green, Marvin Kaye, and Mark McKinney with us today to talk about Less Than Kind. So let's uh, give them a welcome. <laughs> What I, what I came up with and what I thought might be good to start off with is uh, can each one of you maybe share an anecdote from the, from the show about, about working with Maury and, uh, you know, anything he might have said to you or anything that you remember uh, about the time you worked with him? Um, sure. Which one was Maury? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the older, the older <laughs> fat one. We're all a blur. <laughs> um, my... My my moment with Maury that that defined a little bit uh, uh, defined our relationship a bit was there was a mo day on set and it was second season and Maury was already ill and um, we had had the scene written where everybody was supposed to run out of the house and we realized oh well Maury more we can't really have Maury run and we said oh we'll just have him hide in the closet and have everybody else run outside but we thought oh it's it's kind of it's kind of broad, and we don't want to make too much of it, and didn't want Maury to make too much of the moment. So I, I was down on set, and I said, you know, we really don't want you to do, do something. We want you to make this small. We're not going to make a big deal out of this moment where you hide in the closet, and everybody runs outside and comes in the other door. And so we're probably actually going to turn the camera away and then come back, and you're just going to be there when we reveal you. And uh, is that okay? Do you, can, can you do that? And he looked at me, and he went, yeah, yeah, I, I, can, I can do that. I, I think it's boring. I think it's I think it's a tragedy. I think it's the, one of the most boring things I've ever heard someone do. Like, if I'm going in the closet, make the most of it. But if you want me to do that, yeah, I'll do it. So, so I said, thanks. And uh, we went, and we let him do it uh, the way he wanted to a couple times, and then he did it our way. And, of course, I was so angry after that because I was thinking, you know, that fucker, he was so, like, I, I'm just asking him to do this little thing, and he so embarrassed me so much on set and he's, it wasn't his intention to embarrass me but he was just he's just just emotional as he was and I was like I fucking know the show I know what I'm doing we've talked about this we all sat in the room and we want, really wanted to do this and on the day we shot it and in the editing room his take was the right take the way he did it mm -hmm. and I was like the fucker was right and it just made me laugh and appreciate him more than ever before how about you Chris well, we have to understand that Maury sort of had a very strange and uh, weird sense of humor. And uh, my memory of, is from the, actually the first season when he is giving uh, driving lessons to Mr. Lube, who was uh, learning to <coughs> drive late in life. 
And what it was is a shot in the parking lot, and he's learning how to, uh, he's teaching Liu Bei how to drive. And, and during that sequence, they're supposed to head towards a pedestrian who's walking in, and, and, and Liu Bei's driving into the pedestrian. And so what we did is, is we, we covered our shots, we did left, right, we did our front, and then the cameraman went into the back seat. So you just had their heads and the pedestrian in the, the front windshield. And as we were driving towards the pedestrian, Maury couldn't stop laughing. He was just like, yeah! <laughs> and just laughing hysterically that every time we cut, he'd have tears. He'd have to write, wipe tears from his eyes. And the thing is, you, use, you see the shot, and what you see is just like this terrifying sort of movement. But what he actually is doing, he's laughing his ass off because he's like close, this close to running over a pedestrian. <laughs> so it, it, kind of, it kind of gives you a, an indication of where his humor lay. Wow, that's really heartwarming. <laughs> <laughs> God, I, I don't know. My favorite story of Morgan, well, other than seeing him in war games, I remember... I don't know if you remember that thing. It's indelible. I mean, the idea that we were going to work with that guy, that guy from uh, that and from Dances with Wolves, the guy who pissed himself and then blew his brains out. I don't know. There was was an interesting thing. It was not actually a a Maury story. It's sort of more an about a Maury story, which is when we were casting this, uh, we were talking to a a network executive, and it quickly became clear to us that Maury was like the only guy for the role. And it's a really terrifying position to be in when the guy that you know is the only guy for the role hasn't said yes yet. Um, but Maury did, and Maury got into the story like really, really quickly. And, and you know, having an actor like that, like we'd heard reputations, and in fact our network was very nervous about that, or one of our <laughs> network execs was very nervous about that before they uh, went on to another network. And... Uh, um, you know, and we we finally got him. But I'll, I'll tell you, like when you have someone like him on set, I'm thinking about uh, you know our old lady. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we had this uh, we had this scene where it was just supposed to be you know palaver, just the driving shot, right? And, and we had so we had to, she was supposed to be an so extra. An old lady, just supposed to be an extra, but she's out of her mind. And uh, and she gets in the car with Maury, and she starts talking during takes, and <laughs> and like we can't, and people, you know, the first lady's going, okay, no, you really can't, like, just zip, just just drive and stuff like that. And Maury started getting off on this, and he started playing with her, and she turned into a character that ran three seasons on. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he, he was just, and we tell her, and we tell the truth, said your breath is awful. Said, oh, shut up, she said. <laughs> Anyway, so when you have when you have someone like Maury, it's just like his playfulness. It was really mm-hmm. he was there kind of all the time. And you throw somebody like that in our cast, some of them were youngish, yeah, you know, yeah. first time sort of with regular roles and series sort of thing. And it gives you an anchor. I mean, and sometimes the anchor can come from the showrunner or the director or whatever. But to have that with someone that everybody goes, oh, that's the shit. That's the shit that I want to do that you can't learn. It's just you, you want you have to be around it. Mm-hmm. So, he was an influence, and he was a really sweet guy too. Mm-hmm. Not a handful. I think he was only a dick to people he, on shows he didn't like. You know what? <laughs> he, a, a, anytime he he even had that little bit of uh, that little bit of dickishness, or however you want to define it, it was always just him challenging you, trying to trying to make it the better show. Uh, from for me, yeah, it was just really terrifying argument with him. Uh, we were, we I were remember shooting. this. Yes. Oh yeah, in the Volvo. Yeah, in the Volvo, and he he made a choice. It was a mysterious Anne. We had Anne. She was a pyromaniac, and now the question had to be answered. You know, uh, uh, did, did she set? No, no. Did she set the uh, the bank manager's car on fire or not? And there's a moment where she sort of goes, uh, you know, she tells the family, "Come on, 
I, I, I didn't do it. And they all go, okay, Mom, we believe I you. Believe you. I believe you. And I believe you. I believe you. And then she goes, I did it. <laughs> and she goes, no, no, just kidding. And so we thought that Maury's character should believe that she didn't do it. And he wouldn't go there. And we couldn't talk about it. We had to. Yeah. We had to find a middle ground where we were all. But it all it being, played out. In the, in the end, it played out. <laughs> yeah. Did you play this differently? Lighthouse doesn't say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like he was, he was. He was like I. You know, it was like a challenge. Like if your idea is better than mine, I'll do it. But I don't. You have proved to me your idea is better than but mine. But he was always good. I mean, he was always like, okay, I'll I'll do one for you. Like he he was always good yeah. with with like he yeah, he would like make that. his own choice. Yeah. 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 So, I, I, I'll, I'll give you one. Back in the minus forty, Mario's gonna do one for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, yeah, I could do what you want. I think it's uh, terrible. We, uh, you know, so uh, when you were in the midst of, I mean, it's, it's a long time now since this third season. So you, you were writing this in, in 2010. And I say that because um, you're at the point in the season where you're almost ready to start shooting, and you probably had about five, six, seven scripts on the go. Yeah, we were a little over halfway through. And then mm-hmm. he passed away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was actually in the room of Less Than Kind for a little while, and I say that not to insert myself in the story, but because uh, in the immediate aftermath, there were conversations that I remember having. I, I, you know, I remember talking to you, Mark, and, and you guys on the call, too, about, you know, what what do you do? Obviously, you had to throw out the season and start over, but but one of the issues that, that came up, of course, was do you do what you do in these situations? John Ritter dies, you bring in David Spade. You know, uh, Red Fox dies, you bring in... Uh, Gravy, yes, great. Somebody, somebody else, but uh, but and the thing that got me about it was interesting. Was that I was I was totally on on the camp of um, of you, you got to bring in somebody else. It's got you know you've got to actually bolster that, mm-hmm. and there should be a relative. And I think you were talking we talking about this, and, right, that. Yeah, and you guys yeah. and you and Mark, you were always I think leaning towards no, we can't do it. We can't replace the person. And of course, you watched the third season and. That was so the right call. So what was it about the instinct that you had? And can you talk about those times and those discussions and, and, and at the moment of, of what was going on there? And how did you, you know, wake up the day after and say, all right, we've got to start over and what are we going to do? Can you, can you cast your mind back to that, that time? Yeah, well, there's a lot of death around because uh, Maury died on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yes. My mom died the following Monday. Right, it was, right. it was just like, it was like it was, a lot of death. Not yeah. And uh, and um, I don't know, just the idea of, of like trying to walk in an uncle or a brother or something like that just felt long, felt yeah. forced. And then when we really started, you know, considering or what I started considering, what the signal strengths of the show were, and it was, the, and this goes back to the very first conversations I had with these two clowns. <laughs> Remember? Because yes. they're actors. And I think one of our first conversations that we had was about what kind of tone of acting, how real is this show going to be? It's based on Marvin's family. We have a treasure trove of anecdotes that we pulled from throughout the three seasons about a dysfunctional Jewish family in Winnipeg. It's very, very real. Marvin's father actually died, you know, uh, when he was at McGill, right? No, when I was at uh, when I was in Vancouver at Theater School. I rewrote yeah. it. It was uh, yeah. at McGill. McGill's <laughs> much better. McGill's yeah. better for the story. Phil, yeah. yeah. um, so can we edit out? The, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. The real answer. Well, you ever. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, but the idea was if there's ever a show built to handle uh, this kind of event, this kind of thing, that would almost, you know, propel the season, because we're heavily serialized. I mean, we really know where we're going at the end, at least in broad, broad themes. So it was just like, 
wow, if this happens to the Blechers, you've got something, you've got something interesting. Yeah, I think, I think we're, we've created a family that was actually sort of grounded in reality. And I think what interests us most is how does a family respond when a patriarch passes? And, and uh, when we started thinking that way, and because we had these great characters, all the a- actors are solid, solid actors, and they, we can take them places uh, that uh, th- they're willing to go. And uh, when we came to that sort of agreement that this is where we need to go, I think that's when the stories really started to flow. Because for me, I, I know for me, it wasn't about patching the hole that Maury left, but actually showing what that yeah. hole was in everyone's life on the show. And so I think I think we made absolutely the right choice of no, we don't replace him. We actually just we show what the ramifications are of the patriarch yeah, falling away. Like, like you've had deaths in your family. You know how it ripples and it brings people together and there's fights at the funerals and sometimes sex and blah, 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 and, you know, whatever. But it, it really can go through a year and, and, and it can slowly untie relationships or slowly bring people back together or it can happen very quickly. And that's kind of the area of study we were, we're doing is, yeah. is how these all these relationships ping pong in the family. Yeah. Though I am going to miss the episode of Anne's evil twin. Not like Anne at all. <laughs> well, I guess I. Well, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, are, are any of the, the the lost season three? I was the one that broke. Oh, yeah, yeah, when Dennis was in the room. Oh, the moon butter story break. Moon butter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. moon butter. Oh my God! Right. Yeah. An episode where Maury is trying. And no, but it was good. It was funny. It was funny. Sad because it yeah. was about he's trying to. The stock that he's holding on here, he's bought the stock long ago, yeah. it's a episode called Moon Butter, and he's just watched it do this for 10 years, and, and it's now worth like 15% of what it was worth, yeah. it's still a chunk of money, yeah. and he was and it was the thing he was going to give Sheldon to go to your Yeah, it was his, yes, it was the big so legacy, his legacy, yeah. yeah. Up everything. It was a great, it was a great yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, shoot. Oh, yeah, I missed all of that. What was the B story, though? I can't well, I remember the cottage, the cottage and, yeah. and, and not, uh, you know, and not uh, ex- basically signing the insurance policy behind uh, Sam's back. And flooded in the previous <clears throat> season, and we were going to start the third season with... Them being exiles from the most fetid, rotting basement as they sat out uh, a standoff with the insurance, insurance company. company. They right. refused to settle, and Sam, and so that, the house was rotting, and they were staying in a cottage. It's Labor Day weekend, and everybody's coming back to town, and they won't settle. Yeah. And, yeah. and signs it behind their back. And that's Lucy and, yeah, yeah, and, and Cornish having sex and, and the, 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 the countdown. That's and, right. And, yeah. and for me, the one and it was the episode that we were we were supposed to write was uh, was Sam apologizing to Anne. Right. And there was a there was a scene where where he was supposed to take her out dancing and he and he couldn't dance. Oh yeah, that's right. right. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. The only way he could get out of it was actually to break his own ankle yeah. and he was standing, <laughs> he was in the garage with like a baseball bat with his with his uh, it was a yeah, beautiful yeah. scene. Yeah, was, and, uh, and Josh walking interrupting him and going, "What are you doing? It's a free country. Leave me alone." But anyway, you <laughs> so you reconstituted your room, you you threw me you started over and it's amazing to look I mean, your instincts in terms of that were amazing because if you look at the third season, I'm lucky enough to have seen the whole thing, and um, and it it does sort of exist as this kind of tribute. It's it's so real in a way. It's like if you've lost a parent or something like that, the absence of this parent and, and and the shadow he hangs over. It. There's this wonderful. You read the opening credits, which yep. you'll see mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it when we screen the episodes. The third season opening credits. There's one. Pride of place shot of him, and it's yeah. just every time 
it runs. It just gets me every single time. It's just so perfect the way it's immortalized there. I think it was mm-hmm. really, you know, having the courage to, to follow that path, I think, really paid off. I love that yeah. shot because it's Maury and Anne, and they were they're so dancing happy. from the very first, from the pilot episode mm-hmm. of the first season. But Maury uh, and uh, the actors, Maury and Wendell, knew each other as young actors in New York. She was sort of like her, she, she was eighteen, protected by him when mm-hmm. she was eighteen and moved to New York as a dancer. They lived in the same building. She was always the relationship they had in real life was very, very much the kind of like you know, yeah, you know, yeah. protector bear. Kind of it's, thing. A, it's, a, it's just a wonderful picture of Maury, Maury and them. Cheeks together, smiling, and it's it's yeah. so well, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll yeah. let them decide. Yeah, yeah. I think it's beautiful. So, <laughs> anyway, don't don't oversell the picture. Yeah. Um, so an ugly tweet. So from there, <laughs> oh the internet. Uh, the uh, the so from there, I circle back to the beginning. It's a, one of the great things about this program that everybody talks about <laughs> is there's it's it's the animal that should not be. It's the to- you've got a tone that is. That is, I won't say it's unique, but it's really unusual that you find. It's not quite a comedy. It's not quite a drama. When it's when it's funny, it's very funny. But you you do the pivots to moments that are real, real. You have you have a soup. You you have characters in there that are that are that flirt with being so broad that you think this is all going to come crashing down and be terrible Canadian television, and it never happens. And it exists along these things that are incredibly real and grounded. So. Um, and that's sort of been there from the beginning. So why don't we talk about the beginning of the show, recount how it started. Marvin, it was, it was based on a play that you wrote, right? I wrote a, a one-act play uh, called They Have Mayonnaise in Montreal in my final year of theater school in Vancouver. Uh, basically, it was about me and my father. And uh, it, was part, it, became, it was commissioned as part of a, a one-act play festival in Vancouver, and it did fairly well. And uh, after that, I sort of went on to be a, a, a journeyman actor, scraping a living. And then uh, 15, 10 or 15 years later, when I hit my mid-30s, I realized I should probably Sorry. choose a career. I know, I pulled, it, I pulled it off the shelf, and, uh, and, I, set, and I basically I, I started talking to production companies, and they sent us to the NSI program. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with this Bible and package that we put together, we pitched it uh, after that. And uh, Breakthrough Pictures, who sort of were recording us throughout the program, signed on. And uh, we went through a number of phases of development. You were on the first phase yep. of yep. development yep. Um, with, with what was then City TV when they commissioned it. And Mark came on. On the second phase, and I think was it just a file someone had thrown in front of you, or a project that they? No, I uh, Slings and Arrows was either finishing or was just done, and it was kind of like, okay, well now what? And uh, uh, I was already doing my flirt dance with Aaron Sarkin. Go right. Yeah, you were about to do studio. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Yeah, and it was just one of the things that that came came up. Uh, But it was it was a good meeting. We had a very good first meeting. It was like, oh great, actors. That's exactly what I want to do. yeah, keep it in that range. I don't. I didn't want to do something, you know, too bright or too sitcommy. I don't write jokes. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and then it was. It was. It was th- that meeting was was fabulous because it was supposed to be a half hour, and we ended well, up. It was a spoke yeah. yeah, fabulous. <laughs> Mark, Mark, was Mark was a member. I, I was a member. We we weren't. Uh, are you a member now, Mr. McKinney? No, no. Yes. <laughs> but it was supposed to be a half hour, and it ended up being like three hours. Uh, it was like we drank so much coffee. Uh, it was amazing. 
And we, everything, we all seem to be pointing in the same direction, that you can have a show that is, has those broad comic moments and yet have that, to just flirt with the edge of the schmaltz of the family and, and keep the heart really alive in it. And we just wanted to make it as real as possible and make it as interesting as possible in, in the tragedy and in the comedy of, of what this family was going through. And we all seem to be on the same page mm-hmm. and just... It was sort of just a magical way it came together. But what's interesting about that, too, is that you do, what you don't do is what is the standard Canadian way of handling that, which is in a lot of, in a lot of shows you'll see, you know, you, you go up to the edge of the emotional uh, moment and then you go, eh, and, you, and you, you either undercut it or you just kidding or you take it back or you, you never go for the moment. Like the our th- fathers did. Right. right. <laughs> Yeah. The moment, but I mean, it's like one of these <laughs> things where you, but you do it. You play out those moments. You let the the, the emotion play, and you let the uh, you know, you, like and our fathers didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the membrane between comedy and drama. Yes, like, where comorama can live. Right. What you're doing. It's a. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think we know there. I think you've started to see a lot more of it happening. I think it's like a, it's it's of course it's going to come out of the cable TV yeah. sensibilities and yeah. stuff. I think we flirted with it on Slings and Arrows. Uh, Modern Family certainly is yep. the most successful iteration of that, though. Uh, on a the, uh, the, the 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 emotional beat is usually firewalled to late in the third act. Yeah. Um, whereas we kind of will try and put it anywhere. The yeah. Where we can't put it. Where can't you put it? I don't think you can ask for people to feel a surge of emotion in a, in a cold open. Right. We did one episode which... Yes. Yeah, it's... Uh, and yeah. Clara waking up in bed with the wrong guy, the bad boyfriend. And there was some There was some broad comment. There was some broad comment, and, and then at the end, she's in the mirror, and it's in the teaser, and all the laughter's gone out of the room because he's, he's left, and now she's looking at herself, and she's 40 and wants you know something permanent. This guy's not it. And we sort of thought, oh, you'll take that frame. But you can't really... You can't really get that... Moment, um, it, yeah, you know, as it goes into the credit music, it just felt like, uh, you have to earn it, yeah. Uh, so it was circuiting through, Mark. Let's, uh, I, I wanted to ask you about a couple of things. Obviously, you know, uh, you know, people will be familiar with you going back to Kids in the Hall, but but without going through the, the list of the resumes, I, I figured the way I wanted to ask this was. Uh, I think m- the credits that people are going to be really interested in with you, uh, besides Kids in the Hall, of course, are, you know, you wrote for SNL, mm-hmm. you wrote for, with Aaron Sorkin on Studio 60, and uh, and you created, which is, what, what is arguably, probably my, f- well, it's not arguably my favorite, it's my favorite Canadian show, arguably one of the best ca- uh, the Canadian shows ever made, Slings and Arrows. So what I'm wondering is, what... Piece of learning, what pe- learning about writing? You know, you always get better as a writer. Every project you are, you learn something, you pick something up. What did you pick up from each one of those assignments? Uh, Saturday Night Live deadline, 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 and uh, and the use of it uh, because it's it was an incredible pressure cooker. We were doing Kids in the Hall in Toronto, but you know, Saturday Night Live, you uh, you. You spend Sunday twitching, uh, you show up late on Monday, you meet the host, you bullshit them about what you're going to write about, often repeating it, but just the title of the sketch that you never intended, right? For a year, mine was Sex Girl Patrol, everyone would go, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
Uh, and so, yeah, so you have to write really fast. The relative importance of endings are non-importance in sketch. And then, yeah, sketch form. It was, uh, it was all about, like, you know, because you'd find out between at 10.47 on a Saturday night, you've got to get 30 seconds out of this and yeah. pull the right 30 seconds. So it's that kind of, like, you know, yeah. it's almost journalism. It's, it's, yeah. it's drama, comedy, journalism. You've got to hit a deadline. Interesting. What, and what about Sorkin? Uh, Sorkin... Well, my favorite thing that Sorkin ever said in a writing room uh, was uh, uh, was about um, his own development as a writer. Because you know he could just put out these screeds of, of dialogue where like these people clash and refract and stuff like that. And I said, "Well, how did you learn how to do this?" And he said um, that as a kid, he used to listen. I guess he lived in New York or whatever. Uh, you know, his parents were you know, or parents or somebody was arguing, not his parents, but like uh, you know, neighbors. He would hear sounds on the street. But muffled through a wall, so he couldn't actually make out the words. But he'd hear, like in a Charlie Brown cartoon, <laughs> you know. So you get the sense, and I think that's oh a huge wow, part of the, music the, music the music, the music, the music. Oh my god, that's amazing. Now he's also a crazy ass, uh, great story writer. If you've seen, like, I mean, I think my favorite thing he's ever done is that fat baseball player in uh, the, just the recent one, the one that goes. The guy who's running for first base. Do you know the what's the movie? Moneyball. Moneyball. Money ball. Yeah. Money ball. Which yeah. just is kind of like the the most brilliant tag on it. Um, yeah. So that was kind of it, but it was really just kind of watching it. I think he's got a gift that you can't really quite that gift. It was yeah. like it's not. I'm not gonna ever get that. Yeah, no, that's you the know? NFL. You so can't. Maybe, that's that's <laughs> maybe that's what I learned. Is you can You can admire people, but there's sometimes you can take learn from them. Sometimes you can't. Right. Yeah. But Aaron was great for it because he, he was very very hard on story. Very much into the idea of pro and con. Like, if you're going to break a story, what is this guy arguing for? What is the person arguing against? How does the argument counter and break out? And that was a really useful tool, so I took that away. Sorry, that was very long. No, No, that's great. That's great. And what about slings? Slings, uh, well, that was like learning slow cooking because uh, Mm -hmm. Susan had a half hour. I came on. We pushed that to an hour, sort of developed, broke out the first uh, season and, and, and the first episode and came up with the characters and the ghosts all got born there. And then kind of part of the lesson was Bob Martin coming in and just watching him do what he does, which is just, you know, this, this incredible dialogue that's so witty and so mm-hmm. good. But then the three of us worked together on all successive seasons in Susan Coyne's kitchen. And we kind of, because of the rhombus ethic, which is more, even though we were making a TV show, rhombus is very much from the feature, indie feature film world, mm-hmm. you know, wine before it's time kind of thing. Yeah. So we were never like, we were never on deadline. Mm-hmm. Wow. Or maybe, or never seemed like we were on deadline. And, and the stories just got beaten out and beaten out, and then re-beaten out and re-beaten out. And that's something we do on uh, yeah. Less Than Kind. Endlessly. Yes. Endlessly. If we, yes. we shall get yeah. to that. We'll yeah. get to that. Um, Marvin, Chris, but this uh, sling, yeah, sling. Uh, your uh, your experience on Less Than Kind, you, you know, uh, I, uh, Marvin and I are friends. Chris and I are friends too, but Marvin and I play poker together. Yeah. And uh, and so when it's a deep friend. and when you get and when you get the in, when, when we get into our cups uh, in that sort of thing, I will often throw to him, uh, and you know, and he's he's very good natured about it. It's like I'll call him an effing lottery winner. Yep. It's like you've, you've won the lottery on this show. And, you, and it's wonderful that, you know, this is your first credit. But it's amazing that, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you guys have had a very singular experience over the last three years. So what, what have you learned? I mean, what have you learned from watching Mark? What have you learned about the process of writing? Uh, you know, do you think you're less arrogant than when you went in? Do you, I mean, what, what, do you, what did you guys pick up? Because well, uh, I, know, I know when I was doing it for a few years, I had to face the fact that 
Honestly, if I'd known what it was really like being a television writer, I never would have started. I would if I knew, I wouldn't have started. I'm glad I, I'm. You, it's good to start in ignorance. Did you find that, or what was yeah, your experience? No, yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, the short answer is, what did we learn? Uh, everything. Um, there was a moment in the first season, which is always. Mm-hmm. I mean, from what everybody tells me, it's always a challenge. Like, your first season, you're just you're still figuring out what the show is, like, halfway through. And there was a moment towards the end of the first season where I was under a very severe deadline. And I've never faced you're the done. sort of pressure. And that was my, it was around my uh, 40th birthday. And we went from outline, from, from breaking the story to outline to draft in, like, 48 hours. We had to, yeah. we had to turn it out. <laughs> yep. And I remember... Uh, like m- coming in one day, and Mark looked at me, and I think he saw that I was about to cry for no reason. <laughs> and he just said, you know, I think you better go home, and I think you better go to the gym or do something like that. And I was trying to write this thing, and it was like I would write for like 15 minutes, and then I would walk into my bedroom, and I would just like, I just need to called sleep. you. For like 15 is that is that what just is that what you call is that yes. when you left the message? Left, yes. And that's what I called. Oh I left the message because I had, I had been an, uh, an assistant on a show uh, working in the same building as Dennis when he was doing uh, Across the River to Motor City, and I was the show. Uh, I, I shouldn't mention. Don't mention. Show. It. I won't mention the show. The, my job was so <laughs> easy because this person didn't like to do any rewrites, and I was the script coordinator. And so basically, I was leaving like by five o'clock. I was home before my wife, who has a nine to five job. I was home before her some days, and I would just come down to Dennis's office sometimes. And go, hey man, why don't we uh, why don't we check out a little early today? Just go go grab some drinks, and he'd be like, he'd be ready to fucking tear my eyes out. And I call, and so th- when I had my own show, and this was all happening, I called Dennis while I was curled up in bed during a break from writing on the computer. And I just went, you know, Dennis, I just want to tell you, I am so sorry. Every time I teased you about working so hard, and I just, I, I, I don't, I, I'm just, I, I really feel bad about this it. Is the, this is the moment, where in the movie version of this, I would pull out the digital recorder and play the message that I say, yeah. but, I, and I, but I didn't. I, but I, God, I wish I'd saved that message, because it was the funniest thing ever, because it literally, you sounded like Marlon Brando, like, mumbling an apocalypse now. Like, it's like, it's like, you, see, you hear this message, and the only conclusion is, ooh, Marvin's methods have become unsound. (laughs) (laughs) It was, so, you know, it's just learning to deal with the hundred thousand things that are blasting at you and still trying to keep your eye on the ball and trying to put out this piece of work that's quality and everybody's fighting you to try and make it cheaper, to try and make it uh, fit into the the schedule better and you, you still have to fight to try and get that good thing that you started with across. And that was what the first season was about for me, was just learning to take the pressure. And as uh, one of the producers on the first season uh, said, like, just remove it from me and just sort of put it in front and go, yeah, here. Because it, the pressure does just, it, it builds up. Like, you can see the water coming up the wall. And right. you're like, oh, God. And it doesn't stop. It, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's a consistent thing. One thing I've learned is, is that it's, it's always going to be like that. It, it just never stops, uh, especially when you're in production and you're looking at 16, 17-hour days. Yeah. And, and one thing is, is that you, you just got to keep, keep moving forward. 
hopefully have a clear head. There are t- times where you just want to f- go to bed. Um, I thought Mark had was great in the in the, the way he had a sense that things were starting to sink into the sand, and he sort of has a way about him that kind of lifts you up and and kind of makes you laugh and look at the situation, and and kind of bring the spirit back into going moving forward. So yeah, I think I think it's a constant uh, it's a constant learning curve. You're always learning. Um, you, you know, the three seasons we've done have never been the same. I mean, I, it's a constant. You, you, people say, "Well, you know, you must, it must be getting easier now." You know, now that you've done it for a couple of seasons, and it's not. It's it's always it's always hard work, and there's always different things thrown at you. But it's also a lot of fun, and there's a lot of joy. And I think we're really blessed with a, a great cast and a great crew that sort of all sort of rally behind this show and and really believe in what we do and what we, 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 we try to achieve and to have that sort of support really helps also. Let's talk about how you guys break story because uh, having watched, uh, having been in the room and watched uh, Mark at work, Mark, you've, you've the most fascinating process I've ever seen. And I, wonder, <laughs> I, mean, I, call it, I, call it, I call it the alligator kill method. You know how alligators, they they drag their prey under the water and they turn them over and over and over and over and drown them and then they go back and they play with them for a while and they eat it three days later or whatever. That's you breaking the story. Like you, It's always, you turn it over and over, you go away, you're not sure about it, you come back, you throw it out. You're like, do you want to go down? You force other people, you put other people in the position of... um, you know, when you say, I don't know, is this right? And, you, and, and you, what, what you're looking for is somebody to go, no, this is solid in this way, this way, and this way. But if they can't do that, and if, they're, and if you don't buy their defense, you know that you're... I mean, it just seems to me to be... It's just really interesting, the way that, the way that you actually do it. It seems <laughs> tortured, and sometimes it seems random, but it's not. Yeah, I, I don't have a normal, normal uh, sort of TV experience, like... But yeah, like I've written on two Sorkin shows yeah. in a kitchen with uh, Susan Klein and Bob Martin yeah. and Saturday Night Live and Kids in the Hall. And none of this <laughs> apparently looks like any other, any kind of like regular room, you know, where there's a hierarchy of yeah. function and stuff like that and a certain procedure to breaking story. I mean, I think part of that is like what, what you're talking about was the, was the slings method of breaking yeah. story, which is to just, it's like a meal foy pastry. It's like, you know, how they just take the dough and just do it over and over until it's just like there's... Mmm, it's crumbly, and then you get the croissant. You know, that's like, <laughs> yeah. it's it's that kind of thing. I do believe that you can that you have to chase story to the deepest part of the cave uh, repeatedly yeah. uh, to get it done. But I don't know. I mean, what, what's different? I mean, what I, I don't um, story isn't cheap. And the other thing is, uh, is if there's a scarlet thread throughout this reasoning, for me, yeah. it's always the the emotions mm-hmm. right. of characters entering, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. happens to change them, what they're really feeling, what they're showing about what they're feeling, what they're hiding. That sort of stuff, and it has to be human. Like we have, we're, I don't want to give it away, but we've been working on a story for the, the final season, where me, a fifty-year-old guy, uh, and, and and a lot of us in the room, but thank God we have Jen Engels and, and Karen as well, are writing yeah. a story about what a, you know a young woman goes through at a certain age under certain kind of familial pressures, and we have honestly tested this story like a million times. Yeah, I don't want to be. What is colloquially known as fridging, you know, right? You know, yeah. uh, that term. I love that term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to define that for, mm-hmm. for fridging? For is uh, when you put a female <coughs> character in the hands of a psycho killer who's got her tied up in a fridge 
so that the male character can go through some moral advancement. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like it's like the slam on the help. Yeah, right? it really is. Like, 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 isn't it great that white people discovered yeah. racism? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah that, it's true. It is the slam on the yeah. help because like yeah. that moment where they make the meal for the, yeah. their maid at the end was just what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want to fridging. I love fridging. it. No, but it's it's a thing. But anyway, sorry, sorry. So I mean, it's it's uh, it's a it's a feeling thing. It's a yeah. But I just want to add something. One, one of the other things I've, I've taken away spent work from working with you is you are... Advice. Yes, your starting advice. No, you, your, your fearlessness in attacking uh, or, or in taking on a bigger issue or a bigger scene or a bigger moment than anyone would think you could get away with, with mm-hmm. a budget or with... Production. Like what? Well, yeah. you know, if you if you see a vision of of something in a in a certain location or with a long a big huge scene with this, you will fight to the death to try and get that scene instead of bowing immediately to the pressures of production oh, or yeah, taking yeah, on yeah, that yeah, yeah. taking that responsibility. I mean, you, you'll drive the line producer crazy, but you will get that vision and you will fight so hard whereas everybody else is just like oh it's not going to happen don't no, no, do no, it no, but no, you, no. you you are tenacious and you keep going for yeah, it yeah but we've had some really good and bets the really good bets that he's talking about sorry. where our, our production manager went you're crazy was one where one scene where we wanted the dining room yeah. of Josh and Shonda's new like skanky loft apartment to turn out to be a disused elevator that's going to break away from the walls in the middle of their first dinner and descend. So that that was that was hard, but we got it. One of them was was the idea of Marvin dancing in glitter paint as the last shot in the gay club as Josh in my and Eric, who have accidentally just stripped in the gay club, reaffirmed their love for acting. And we pan over. And that, that was but, a yeah, but, but even the smaller ones. Like the, the, the song, the, the song that we used way. for the first episode, where you kept everybody was saying, "Don't, fuck, don't bother, don't bother. We're not going to get it. We're not well, going to get it. We're not going to get it." Yeah. And you were just like, "It's the perfect song. We have to keep trying. We have to keep trying." And we eventually we got this song for a price we could afford. But it's those elements of tenaciousness, fight, tenacious fight to the death for the vision that you see is true. Yeah, but you're talking about vision where I would just say you're talking about defending an element of a scene or a sequence that you've absolutely got to have. Like, I mean, I was ready to it. give up on the song, but I would have, it would have crushed me. Yes. And luckily, at the last minute. But, but, you, but you, fought, you fought for it, but it's, it's the small elements and the large elements, and, and that's... That's something yeah, I, I, I've taken away. Well, yeah, and I think that's a really important. Yeah, it's a really important discussion <laughs> to have too. It's important, important to highlight that point. And some of it, you know, you got to wonder if some of it is just because you know Mark McKinney or or what, whatever it might be. But uh, there's a lot of producers in this city that produce budgets yeah. instead of television shows, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And you yeah, see a yeah. lot of you see an awful lot of that. A lot of the shows I've worked on, it's just it's awful. Like you know, the, the producer thinks that they're they're. Their, their job is to be Dr. No. No matter what happens, no, we can't do it. No, 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 you can't. And, you know, it's like, oh, can we just try to do something that's not, mm-hmm. you know, can we have a lake? No, we can't. Can we have a bathtub? Can we fill the bathtub? No, we can't afford the water. You know, I mean. Well, like we flooded the basement. We didn't even yeah, know if that was line producers or, or Sherwood? Everything. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, you, you know, part of this is sort of, you know, the fact that the showrunner thing is not as completely integrated into the Canadian firmament. It's, it's a lot of these shows where, you know, oh, it's product. Okay. Yeah, it's product, yeah. and the creative's not, and and and, and no one makes that fight. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you're going to lose that fight, but if you don't make the fight, you wind up with pablum meat crap. Yeah. And 
and, and all I'm saying is I've been in that room where everyone says, no, you can't do that. We're, 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 with you, this where everybody says, no, you can't do it. No, you can't do it. No, you can't do it. And you keep challenging them. Why? Why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? Why? What's the actual problem? What's the, the actual problem? closed, sir. Yeah, really. Why is the bar closed? Exactly. He's a belligerent drunk trying to get a glass drink. But, but, but it's a noble fight, and I admire yeah. you. And I got us in. And yes. And, 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 and sometimes you lose, but you always do the fight. You're the window. <laughs> we have a record. Oh, my God. I've officially lost control. Sorry. This. <laughs> I am a little bit worried for Marvin and Chris because of the singular nature of the experience. One, because of what you're talking about, but two... Because of the paroxysms that we've gone through, yes. because of the Mori thing and yeah. things like that, and the creative adaptation, it's I don't, I don't think we've had kind of in a certain sense an honest job in three years. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of been like, and 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 the, the, particularly in second season, first season we found the show as you often do around Half, episode seven. seven you suddenly it just a, you know what you're doing. Yeah. You've taken in the actors. You've let go of your precious, precious ideas of what the show should be, and actually dealt with the real. Physicalities of the wall and the mm-hmm. actors, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, but then in second year we were thrown a real curve, and it made us do things that <sighs> I don't know. I don't know if we were li- would have lingered to do them, you know. Like right. I think we got a great season out of season three. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I. We have a whole other season in a box somewhere. You know, it's yeah. just like we've written. Yeah, we've we've done the equivalent now of five seasons. Yeah, actually. pretty much. Exactly right. right, because then, and that's because season uh, two. More season more season more three, second season, season two. As we were like, because uh, uh, with Marvin's little meltdown that he was describing, like you know, the last minute where we had two episodes to go in the middle of winter in in Winnipeg. But that, like our vow was, we're gonna have a little oh, fucking script, script done done. before we go to Winnipeg, and then. Maury and we were, we, we were... Ten we, scripts. We had, ten everything scripts was in, ten scripts in draft, two scripts still in outline. We were beginning to polish the first two drafts, and there was the knock on the door, Maury's sick. And he, instead of 30 days, you can only have him for 13. So we had to rip up mm-hmm. the entire season and try again. And that was devastating. And then basically we almost had to do the same thing. Yeah, again but this year, three. we're going to Winnipeg with the scripts. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe two. <laughs> well, good. That's uh, yeah. Keep dreaming. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld once very famously said, "I think that I'm not sure comedy wants to be a movie." And just sort of when you're talking about the budget and stuff like that, I, you know, we've had we talked uh, Craig David Wallace about Todd the Book of Pure Evil, which is another show that uh, that gets that seems to get to be exactly what it wants to be, and it seems very clear too that you guys are making exactly the show that you want to make. Do you think that has something to do with the fact of what your budget level is? Do you think you have more freedom than if you're, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think, I, I think uh, I've, I've been lucky that the, uh, to work on a couple of shows. This, this situation reminds me of kids, because Kids in the Hall, yep. uh, uh, we were uh, uh, sort of flagged by Lauren Michaels. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there's a guy who's produced, already got a very successful show called Saturday Night Live, that he's yep. producing in New York. The American network was HBO. The Canadian network was really happy to be in business with Lauren Michaels. Yeah. So no one came to set. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no one looked at our scripts. We got censored twice. And the same thing happened with us. I mean, it was awful that we bounced mm-hmm. around. We didn't actually get any marketing for the show until this year. This year. Yeah. yeah. Season uh, three. But because we were always under the radar and in some kind of crisis, people <laughs> just kind of left us alone for all years. So. It's true. Yeah. No, we were. Bl- it's, it's been a blessing. I mean, when I the kind of notes. We would get, we were like, it was very tiny. We were like, well, either they're ignoring us or they think we're doing great. So, but either way, let's just not question it and keep going forward. Yeah. Mark, you've had a, uh, 
you've had a, a, a parade of some very great ta uh, writing talent through your room, uh, and a lot of and you're mm -hmm. you're very good at putting putting people in the room that have different strengths and that can do different things. What do you look for when you're populating a room with writers? Who do you is it gut or are the specific things you're looking for? I think you want to have your bases covered. You want to have a guy who can write jokes. You want to have a guy who can do comedy. You want to have a guy who knows the. Uh, not guy, girl, anybody who knows the uh, structure, the theme of the show, the, the the feeling of it, who's feeling the feelings, and, yeah. and I think it's just like a balancing act. Unfortunately, in Canada, because you you can't really get up to ten or twelve the way they'll do yeah. on a on a full series hour in the states. You you have to be a little bit more selective. But yeah, like you said, we've had uh, the great thing about sort of having been around for a bit is I know where some of the bodies are buried. Right. Um, but I didn't know about you, and I didn't know about Sheridan. These guys brought you in. And, yeah. But yeah, they've been instrumental. I knew about Gary Campbell, who's yeah. like a terrible asset, and we found Jen Angles. That was yeah. on an interview, and yep. she turned out to be fabulous. Mm -hmm. Karen, as did Norman Brebner, who was in for like a month and a half, gradually swelling with twins. You know, eventually she had to she couldn't get through the door, so she stopped coming. <laughs> but she gave us a great character. babies, right? Babies, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. No, Peter Sellers is gag. Yeah, that we were working on. <laughs> good, good. No, we we have been blessed, I think, with, with with the, I mean, with the writers that came in. It would be great if we had the budget to keep like eight or ten people in. Maybe and unfortunately, maybe not. It's maybe we're at the right size. Maybe, Six. but I there I, there was a moment like when there were we had like a couple of other people who came in and it, I mean, they they would just shoot every, something in every once in a while. It was just nice to have them. But mm. yeah, I think the six that we have are. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we? Uh, now seems a good, good a time as any, maybe, to take a break and to uh, not to take a break, but to plug in the episodes and let's watch a couple. Where uh, you guys have decided to screen two, we're going to watch the first episode of this season, mm -hmm. and uh, and then we're, uh, and then we'll just pop the lights up a little bit. They'll change the, the DVD, and we're going to watch the episode that just aired this Last, week. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, just okay. aired on Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. Um, and then we'll come back. We'll talk. We'll talk a little bit more about those, and we'll take your questions as well. Do so. you have the elevator gag? Because that was brilliant. That was in second season. So yeah. no, yeah. these are all from three. It was really good. It's uh, it's all still. By the way, you know, again, uh, HBO Canada on now. It is uh, second second season is still on demand. Yeah, yeah. as far as I know, it's yeah. still yeah. they're still on. Is it on Netflix yet? No, no. Right. Okay. And uh, okay, so so a bunch of stuff yeah. to talk about when we get, come back. But for now, why don't we dim the lights and let's uh, let's watch the uh, episodes. And we're back. Oh, well, that was great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, was, uh, that was amazing. Um, so uh, what do we want to sort of t uh, talk about those? For Obviously, um, let's talk about the, the first episode first. Conception uh, specifics of sort of uh, when you started laying it out, did you, did you, did you, how quickly did you come to that idea of doing the, um, the aftermath of the death and deal with it as a triptych? And walk, walk through sort of how, the, how that first episode and the first three really developed. Well, I remember um, Mark sort of pointing out that it was going to be a fugue state. And, and initially we thought perhaps that it should be Sheldon in that fugue state. And then we kind of went with that for a little bit. And then we find that's wrong because he's sort of our hero. He was sort of the guy that was going to do the right thing. And, and that's when we kind of came to the idea that it should be Anne. It kind of goes through the morning and through the... Um, yeah, who discovers the who body. Dis and discovers the body and whatnot. 
that um, seemed to to really click, and then you know the, the mother and the going shopping. It all it, it all seemed to meld, and and the big thing was the musical piece at the beginning. That was our mm-hmm. that was that was a, a big. Well, like I think we had over that we had to answer from season uh, two. two. Yeah. Like, because almost yeah. everything else could, could sort of like uh, stretch between three and But we decided, okay, we had to explain, just for our own benefit, I don't know really who cares, but uh, when the season originally was coming back, they would have broken up and been getting back together in well, summer. So yeah. this was now a much longer period of time that they had not spoken since the initial rift in the relationship. Miriam the poison letter. So we sent her away to France. <laughs> Boy. A very useful device for writers. <laughs> Just go to, to France. France. come back changed. France is a very useful yeah. device. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, France is a useful country. It's not, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It doesn't actually exist. India, India is good. Send your character to India. Yeah, it's we, good. We thought, yeah. about, we thought yeah. about Israel it, for a while, but that, yeah, it didn't feel right. Yeah, it didn't feel right. <laughs> <laughs> Where, at what point did you decide? It's interesting structurally watching that because, of course, you know, to, to do that, first of all, to start on the, on the amazing, funny teaser and to go on that thing and have the, the dread of the, the thing. And, of course, you, the, Anne discovers Sam's body in bed. And you. You come back out of the credits thinking that we're going to deal with it. Yeah. You're going to deal with it, and gradually you become aware of this, the building horror that we're going to go the whole episode until it's. We're yeah. not going to find out till the end. It's what everybody. It's you get to see that awful moment of, you know, there's always that thing that we play about. Are you ahead, is the audience ahead of the characters? Mm-hmm. Or are they behind? And you know, you you see lots of. Uh, Theories about that, but you don't want the audience ahead of the characters for too long because that alienates. Yeah. Uh, but so, wh- where did you? At what point did you decide? Okay, this is what we're going to do. It's not going to pay off for the end of the episode. I think that was pretty early. I mean, it, it was. It was. It's a gamble, you know, because she turns over bed and there's her dead husband. But you know, knowing what we knew about Anne, and of course we mm-hmm. know the characters better than maybe even the viewers, we knew that she had taken departures previously. Mm-hmm. She's prone to doing something a little nutty in the response to extreme stimulus. So yeah. it just felt like, okay, if you were not ready emotionally to deal with something and you came down, how would that manifest? Well, a really foul move mm-hmm. that sends everybody scattering out of the house. And so that kind of bought thing. I mean, I don't know if it's a completely credible plot. Mm-hmm. But I do love the way that she goes and meets this character, which I think you sort of have a sense is magical. Mm-hmm. And just when you've sort of been, we've, we've done the sparkly glass, sparkly glass, magical character relationship, and then we end it as, almost as, uh, as soon as we can mm-hmm. uh, and, and bring back the reality that this has happened. The Valerie Mahaffey thing, the, uh, you talk a little bit about that because obviously there's, it's interesting because there's something, uh, I like the idea of there being levels and stuff. You get that there's something off from the start, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you're not quite sure. How much were you trying to play with that in terms of, of when you were writing it? Did you conceive of that? With, how much of that was came out of the direction of it, that sort of aspect of it? Well, I think uh, Kelly did an amazing yeah. job. Yeah. This, this, uh, we were all the first three, Kelly Macon? Yeah, the first three yeah. were all Kelly's. <laughs> he blew the budget. Um, but it was... Uh, <laughs> no, no, it was great. We knew... That we knew well, one thing that happened is our network uh, got behind the idea that they knew what kind of show it was, and they, they really got it. And I have to credit, you know, Avi and Kathleen. They gave us a chunk of money to stop rethink because we were at the end of our writer's budget. We had no money left for, for to writing. go back yeah, and start and again. So they gave us enough to sort of, I think, sit for uh, six weeks. Six well, to eight yeah, weeks. we pushed six to eight weeks. Yeah. Six to eight weeks, and and we threw our 
all our focus on how are we going to transition this this storyline in, and. Uh, and it seems I, I think it paid off. I, yeah. did, I, I think did. episode one successful. Episode two, I think, is the more successful of the triptych of the morning, the yeah, um, it's immediate a, aftermath of death. And then it's a very different. The, the the one that's next is a very different episode because we saw it. We called it the shards because it was just like little pieces of moments and people's emotion. lives uh, when they are emotionally dealing with this. But but getting back to this, I mean, we rewrote that mom and scene like. Dozens of times because we wanted mm-hmm. it to just have that. Yeah, part of that was feeling. location. Yeah, remember it was like it was. Yeah, yeah, that's the right. Ball. Change room. Let's uh, uh, get just it because we got an audience. So let, let's poll. I'm interested to find out uh, how many people in the audience, if you're watching it, where do you t- how many people twigged right at the beginning something's off about this? This is a magical character. It's not. How many people sort of knew from the beginning there was something off? How many people? Okay, so oh, one. Yeah, how many people right. didn't? <laughs> Didn't realize what was going on until the blow at the end, and I'm shopping with mom. Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. Yeah. A lot how of people of that uh, found that satisfying. Mm-hmm. And how? Yeah, he, he and how many, okay, so I, actually, wait a minute. This is really boring for people at home. We had one person. We had one person who said, "If you're, if we're talking about, a, there's a, obviously a magical character in." In episode one, this is a total spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. But if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah, anyway, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but you, uh, so, so we had one person who said that from the beginning that the, the character that turns out to be Anne's mother um, shows up, you know something's off. Most of the audience then, I would say about probably 90%, uh, said that they uh, twigged, they didn't twig till the end. Who caught on somewhere in the middle? But see, that's what I had, too. Somewhere in the middle, I'm like, this is not... I didn't know who she was, but you just knew there was something canted and weird and off about yeah. it, and it was really great. I remember reading a story about about um, where you get things, and the most satisfying thing to actually happen is, is, to, not, is to not figure stuff out a, a too far ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And it's not actually satisfying to not... or as satisfying to realize it when it's told to you. The, the best time is to have that thing where the hair goes in the back of your neck yeah. and you figure it out just before the reveal mm-hmm. because that way you get both surprise and recognition mm-hmm. yeah. at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a beautiful... Uh, Valerie did such a great job. There's a beautiful look in her eyes when the phone rings where, mm-hmm. for me, that's where the moment where you go, oh, something... Something happened. Yeah. right, and you're like, oh, something now like I guess. I don't even know if that works. I mean, I just thought it, it was... We, we knew we had to do something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or that we wanted to do something like that because it is it was it was all about interpretations of, of how you feel yeah. with death you know, when like combat like you know n- yeah. not to give, it's a weird comparison but like you know uh, saving Private Ryan on the beach great interpretive kind of shooting yeah. you know only on a minor minor scale you said something really funny before we started uh, before before we uh, started tonight uh, just milling about outside um uh you made a reference that I think is true for every everybody you see. That it, you look at things and you see the missed eddies and the, and the oh god, yeah, the did we do that right? Yeah. Do you still do that? Can you appreciate yeah. it for what it is, or are you still mm-hmm. seeing what it's not? No, I like. I think. I think there's some, uh, there's some, some creative guts to it. Uh, but watching the, the the stair sequence with Brooke, I kind of went, oh, I should have been a cut there. We shouldn't have gone to that second guy. <laughs> Except that we loved the reaction of Michael Bryan so much. Daddy Brown. I mean, it was just like it was. It was. It felt a little bloated, but the transition works really well. I mm-hmm. always like that, yeah. and the and the scene that then sort of accelerates to Anne finding Maury. But right. tonight it felt a little long. And I remember being. I was in the room where you guys conceived for the second episode that we're talking about. 
Just by the way, uh, you know, I've, it's it's like the Fraser Niles principle. You think that it can't get better than Benjamin Arthur, and then you put them together with uh, yeah, Ben Arthur. Ben Arthur. <laughs> like it's yes. uh, it's, it's the definition of chemistry. Yeah, it's yeah. just I mean it's the biggest bromance you have ever seen. Those <laughs> two guys. Yeah, um, and the Academy of Acting. Every time I every time I hear the Academy of Acting Acting Excellence, I just I can't not laugh. I just think that's funny. But <laughs> I remember the first. I re, I remember having to hide my reaction. When when I found out and you pitched the girl in the wheelchair, in the wheelchair mm-hmm. that was the yes. a- acting prodigy, just thinking that's the worst thing I've ever heard. They'll never pull it off. But that, obviously, you guys have you guys have a much you push things really far in the show. Uh, <laughs> I, you know you and you do. You're very daring. Where does that come from? Is that just your sensibility? Do you figure just go for it or err on the side of it? What's too much? Uh. Well, there's two what's too much is for me. One is like it, there's a membrane of reality that we try and stay within in the show that I think sometimes we've broken. And you can, oh, it's so when you've broken the, the nat, well, I don't even want to say naturalism. I mean, obviously it's not natural. Mm-hmm. There are lines and stuff like that. But there's a certain tone that'll, that'll, that you can slide between comedy and drama on, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes we bust it. Yep. I don't think we busted it with the no. Uh, because 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 uh, the two actor guys go there, and they, they react to her. They react yeah. to the fact that this horrible scene is happening before them. And they mm-hmm. have no control over it, and, I, and they're immersed in that reality. And I, I think it pays off. The riskiest thing we did was we actually introduced the wheelchair girl in the previous, episode, previous episode. and we didn't explain it. Yeah. And even at the reading of the script, uh, some of the people were like. We thought we were just getting into that cruelty humor yeah. sort of thing, and they're like, oh, I didn't get it until they read the second yeah. script. Because yeah. the payoff... Oh! And there, we, there was a bit of a panic, actually, at one point. The producer was saying, we, we, we were like, we should resolve this in one episode. we got to get it fixed in one episode. And it was just like, no, we can do this. It was sort of like, no, we can do this. Uh, we can pay it off in the next episode. And, and then, but the, at the same time, we we're kind of wrestling with we the blowback and like, oof. We were all going to get some blowback on this. On I remember being on set with you when we were shooting the first one. I mean, there's really interesting. Can we do this? There's yeah. something comically interesting going on by the fact that you, I mean, even the fact of you've got this horribly abusive mother. Mm-hmm. This is great. Yeah. And then you get to take it all back. Yeah. At the end of it, I mean, it's kind of, it's interesting that, you know, the, the way that you can, you can play it out that way. Um, but we just we, thought the idea was hilarious, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's a whole backstory there. You can see she's an emergency room nurse. She's got this daughter. She yeah. can't understand or relate to it because the daughter's an actual acting yeah. prodigy. Yeah. We decided the daughter was Daniel Day-Lewis, aged 11. <laughs> like, what would you do? That was the premise. What would you do if you had a kid that was just, like, really brilliant and personal? And so and, and the military won't come out and is absolutely defined about their artistic choices. Mm-hmm. And you've got to get them to school and make them lasagna. <laughs> she won't get out of her fucking wheelchair. All right, I'll take you to the acting class. You know, and it's... But she forgets to explain that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the one tiny the little, little detail. Yes. Yeah, the one tiny little detail that's really important. Um, <laughs> you know who should be sitting out here is Kim. Uh, uh, Kim here sat in how many seasons? Yes. And took notes and saw the writer's room and actually wrote a script. In, in the the script that comes after the second. Most second, importantly, yeah. had to pay attention to every freaking detail. I mean, do you yeah. have anything to say about the development of any of this? Because your memory is probably better than mine. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of that. Hi. Um, and I won't be on mic, so I'll keep it really short. But um, some of the memories that you're talking about things I don't remember because it was all a fog after we got the news about Maury. <laughs> oh god, it's like a day at work. 
Usually you're pressing a stress. Well, I did, and so I mean I couldn't answer your question about uh, about when do we know that the mother is off a little bit because I knew that from the beginning. But even seeing it, um, the first time I saw it, I was blown away. That that it, it blows me away every time I watch the opening episode because even though I know it's coming, and I was there when we were breaking the story, and I was there as we were editing everything, it's still uh, I find it to be a really powerful story. How long did we see? I, I have a terrible, terrible memory. Did we? Jumped to that the minute we got back, or was it literally? No, 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 no. We argued, but we argued about bringing in a replacement dad. Yeah. We, we there was a lot of negotiation. Option going. What is the best thing here? Until we settled on, no, we're not going to re- replace anybody that's stupid. And then the idea of dealing with someone in a fugue state came up and it evolved into. Yeah, you know, and I and, and I like, think it was three weeks. And and also, I think what really kind of sort of got the juices flowing was the idea of a dream sequence and just making it I remember that was actually one of the first things that we came up with was the idea of a dream sequence and, and, and how, to how to resolve the, the, the Mary yeah. and sort of that got things flowing Let's, uh, can we talk a little bit about uh, just about character in the sense that you got thank you very much Ken um, can we talk a little bit about uh, I like one of the other things I like about this uh, about Less Than Kind I think a signature of Less Than Kind is that you've got characters never go an expected way. You've got the jock wrestling captain guy who's a really nice guy. It's it, it's weird that they're Christians, but but you know but but I mean and, and it's much funny and that pays off in a very very funny way in the episode that's airing this, this Sunday. But um oh yeah. But it's interesting that he's not the asshole. You, you completely go away from the cant of, of where you oh you think they're going to be asshole jocks. And they're not. And did you, in that sort of stuff, do you, where do you come to that sort of thing in terms of going to character? How do you not deliver the expected? We asked that well, question. Well, I, don't think, I just don't think it's interesting to look at the mustache yeah. twirling characters mm-hmm. or caricatures. Unless their mustache is really, really huge. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's just, everybody. Flying physics. Everybody's rash, everybody has a rationale for their actions. And so, like, even the most evil character, it's always fun to see somebody who's enjoying themselves and not just being just the two-dimensional evil jock shithead. So yeah. we tried to make him a real person, and we, I think we try to do that with everybody yeah. we bring on, even the smallest a, role. A, a personal experience of Christians for me is that yeah. they are kind of healthy and buff and, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and kind of like, you know, narrow-tracked maybe. I, I don't, I'm not... You know, I'm, I'm putting high school sort of like Christianity as I experienced it in the United States. That that kind of like just let's get it done, man. And you know, and, and I loved it. Uh, my favorite bit is where he says, "Okay, if our you wrestlers Jewish, beat beat, no more Jew jokes." <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like it's let's make it. Yeah, yeah let's make it all work. Whole thing for them. We, we we never got to film the scene where they pray over the keg. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. That's I love that scene. Where they're trying, like, it's, uh, I love the idea of, like, you know, Less religion, and they're there for God, but they say a prayer because they know they're going to get shit-faced drunk, that they don't make the mistake and succumb to the temptation to drive home drunk. But they kind of, the line about what, what is moral is super yeah. blurred. And even if they do go over the line, they know that Jesus will forgive them for anything. That was what we, we couldn't get to. Right. Yeah. Because I, I think it would have fleshed out the picture. We kind of got most of the picture, but I don't think we got all the picture of her. What has the move to uh, 
TMN and pay done done for the show and allowed you to do. I mean, in one way I notice, I think it's interesting to watch his show and see how heavily serialized it is. Uh, and, you know, that might be harder to do in a broadcast network. I mean, the way that people watch pay TV shows are different. First of all, it's, you know, it's you catch up, you, you binge on them, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's that element of how TV watching is changing. But how specifically does the fact that you're now on a pay service uh, affect the stories or, or, or what you break? Get to bring more challenging uh, stories to the characters. I felt I was. Uh, you're allowed to kind of go in places where perhaps if you're not on like uh, a pay that you can actually not not worry about going to. Um, uh, I think with the kids, we were able to sort of go a little darker in terms of their sexuality and uh, you know. I think uh, also, I mean, we we were always had an element of serialization even in the first season, and then it became more in the second. And we didn't actually write for a cable till we were on third season, where mm-hmm. we were allowed to just do whatever we wanted, and they let us do what we wanted. But I, for for me, it was just basically whenever we said in the first two seasons about oh we can't do that, we can't do that. On the third season, we were just like we can do whatever we want, so there, there was no limit to where we could go really. I don't, know, I don't know if we actually jumped, because don't forget, at the end of the first, we started on City back when it was mm-hmm. a yeah. cool local TV station, and they were really being aggressive. They were a cable. They, were, they had asked for it. Yeah, yeah, they wanted, they wanted, they wanted a cable and show. Then, and then they got taken over by Rogers, and Rogers saw the first season and said, and they really liked the episodes were darker and weirder, and they went, go for it. And then sometime between the time that we, we uh, wrote the scripts and we were editing the episodes, I kind of went, uh, you know what, we're in 905 Network. So uh, pull, yeah. back, pull back, yeah, pull back. A that bit. was a scary time. And then it sort of became clear that we weren't going to move forward with them, and they very nicely let us shop the show. Back to cable where we kind of belonged. But I don't, think they, I don't think we actually were ever holding back on, I can't think of an idea that we, were, we, we sort of rejected and, oh, no, too far. I think we sort of kept discovering what the show was. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's true. But I, I do remember times in the room where we were like, oh, well, we couldn't go to that sexuality. We couldn't go to those oh, yeah, little well, edges. we were dirty assholes. Right? Yeah, because we were like, I think there was, at least it was my perception, or maybe it was just me, that there was some self-censorship. We're taking the borders of, of our writing for the borders of our own perversion. <laughs> I, I am gratified to see that the, the constant joke about washing of the breasts actually could Yes, I yes, yes, finally did it. That, yes. was, that was how we harassed all the females in the room. Is that not correct? We should. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dear. Dear, oh dear. What? We would wash our own breasts. talk about that because, like, I, we, it's like, you know, you, you write with a cracked brain. I, I, that's what you want, writers, male, female, just kind of like letting shit pour forth. But if you ever saw in heard in a court transcript, <laughs> that the, the, the kind of flow of discussion, you know, people would it's never stop popping our faces. It yeah. would just. You know. I, I, well, I've had to, I've had to apologize. Uh, Jen Engel, I said a couple of things in the room where I had to grab her yeah, and just go, I am so She's just, sorry. she's bad too. Yeah, I know. But I, but I feel bad. It doesn't matter what she feels. Yeah. <laughs> if I feel horrible about it, I have to apologize. Well, I mean, you're, you're aware we're taping this, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, that's. You know, I, uh, I want to say one more thing about cable, though, which is really good. great, which is that we can choose now, now that we're on uh, pay. Uh, whether we want to deliver a 22-minute episode that or a 2950 mm. episode. And mm-hmm. what that buys you in terms of flex and also not having to write for that act break, the only thing we have to write for anymore is the is the, uh, is the end of teaser. 
um, you know, with that heightened thing. And there's just no sense of kind of like, you know, bring it back. So there's a great, there, there's a lot of story flow freedom um, in it. Do you yeah. find the show wants to be, is there, is there a rhythm that the show wants to live in? In terms yeah. of length? Yeah. yeah, I don't even know, I couldn't define it, but yeah, I can, I, I, when I, you're right. I mean, there's a certain rhythm where you kind of go, oh, that's an especially good episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's landed, it's, it's about the landing, I find, most of the time. Like, how does it end? What's the last scene? And is it, is the last scene that you're exploiting uh, and, and delivering the, the button to the one that sort of like uh, has excited the most feelings throughout the episode? I think that's it. Yeah. So it's a character, it's a storyline. So, yeah. yeah, interesting. All right, well, I want to open it up to the, to the audience here, but, but just before we do that, the last question I've got for, for each of you is, I guess, you know, the, the aspirational programmatic thing. Mark, in, in all the time that you've been doing this and all that sort of stuff, what's your, what's your one best piece of advice for fledgling writers, for people that want to, you know, for screenwriters uh, who are starting out and for screenwriter, people who want to be screenwriters? What's... What's your best piece of advice? Are you talking about people who are actually shooting their first TV show or trying to break into the business? How about both? Oh, well, it's very seldom happening because you've got a TV show, baby, you're in the business. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, breaking in, I I think it's it's always useful uh, uh, to see your stuff perform and to understand acting and to understand emotion. I mean, I'm seeing Gary Pearson nod, and we go back to theater sports, and I, I credit that almost entirely with my understanding of how people should interact in a scene. I don't know, Gary, if you agree. Think, well, you worked with Gary Campbell, and, and I credit Gary and the other people I performed with my sense of comedy. Yeah, but it, but comedy is not only that. It's like we're talking about a specific type of comedy. We're not talking about joke comedy. We're talking no. about improv comedy, which is a much friendlier comedy to drama and comedy going forward mm-hmm. than I think just, just joke writing is. Mm-hmm. So I think getting it up, uh, you know, I don't know what you do. Have a salon, have your friends read your work, go down, do improv. If you're not a performer, try and see your stuff performed. It's about making it flesh, I think, at a certain point. Even if you just buy a little 8-track you know, recorder and do all the voices and, and, and edit your own little dramatic flows and, and score it. Mm-hmm. it. It is important not to be alone. I think particularly in television, I mean, I can't speak for poets and novel writers, but television is, is not a job to be done alone. So it is. It does offer an opportunity for collaboration. One for act, most people, one act theater festivals, fringe. fringe yeah, yeah, do it all. Exactly. We do did it all. that. Do it all. Get out there. Yeah. 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 Great, uh, guys. Same question, each of you. Well, I, I have to agree with. It. I mean, with Marvin and I, I mean, we 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 you know we did plays. We wrote a short. We shot uh, a feature, or I I, I did a feature, and it's just about just keep working and, and trying to get things done and and. Uh, you know, and and uh, getting your work out there and just finding your voice, really. It, but you have to, you have to somehow get it produced, or you have to somehow get it out there. Whether that's, the, you know, we used to have people come over and just do table reads and whatnot. Just and, just to hear it, just, just to hear, to hear it, it. In, a, in outside of my own head. Mm-hmm. Um, that that gives you something. But you know, really, we were. <laughs> <laughs> when you asked me what advice to give for someone to break in the industry, we were so so lucky. I mean, this 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 was a, a very heartfelt project for me when it started as a one-act play because it was about me and my family. And then when we turned it into a TV show, something about it had the gravity to pull all this other talent together. So I feel very blessed, and it's hard for me to say, how would you break into mm-hmm. it? I, for me, it's like, you know, make it personal, make it something you care about, mm-hmm. and hopefully everything will... Uh, We'll, we'll come together. Yes, on that. Real last question. Go, okay. Go. 
do you still, now three seasons in, all these episodes, how much of it, when you look at the show, do you still see the echoes of your life, or has it become, this, has it become the other thing? It, 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 it has uh, organically blossomed into some more than, than what it started with. But there are still, because it all it was based on my family, and so the, the the structure, the fundamental and the foundations of those characters are still there, and I still see them, and I still see what it was. But it has turned into, in a very blessed way, it has turned into something uh, more than perfect of what I was aiming for mm-hmm. when we were trying to put the show together. Great, great. All right, well, let's open it up to you guys now. I've been sitting there very patiently uh, through, <laughs> through the evening. Uh, any questions you've got for Mark, uh, Chris, and Marvin here? Yeah, sure, I've got one. Great. Um, the um, A, B, and C story structure, how do you work that out within your room? I mean, because you have one writer for each episode, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we, we, we do a long room. Like, we, we really get to the nth point before writers are dispatched. It's not as if there's some sort of sketchy, ah, oh, well, we'll take this episode and do that. We, we kind of beat it up fully. Mm-hmm. A, B, C, and now that we can go to 20 Sometimes D. D. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anybody ever leaves the room to do an outline without a really, really strong idea of what that outline is. Yeah, lo- there's lots the of board is like, yeah. yeah, very detailed. You know, very detailed. Yeah. 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 Uh, they're they're more treatment length, really. Yeah, they can be anywhere from eight to thirteen. <laughs> eight to thirteen pages. Yeah, they, most of them come in around eight or eight to. And how long are scripts? So you don't want to, you don't want you don't want to screed, you know. Yeah. But you want four four pages of fairly pithy. You know, we lay out ABC story and uh, try and send them in sequence because we're so serialized. So. How long uh, are your scripts? Well, there you go. Oh, I mean, uh, we aim for 30, I guess, or 29 to 30, but mm-hmm. we've, we've gone over. We've gone way over on time. And then just shrank it, <laughs> pushed it, distilled it. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, anyone else? Yep. Just to follow up to what you mentioned about breaking in and comedy and uh, improv and seeing stuff actually on its feet and on, on the stage, uh, which I can relate to, um, how did you find... You went from that to learning about story and structure and more long-form kind of things. Uh, I think I, I was lucky. It's just like every successive job was sort of like a gradual immersion. I think doing five years of writing sketches, you kind of got good at the scenes. And I think by the end of you know kids, we were all kind of looking to do something a little longer. So then we wrote Brain Candy, which mm-hmm. you know was arguably all right. Um, <laughs> uh, super hard on that movie. Well, I, th- I think bits of it worked. Uh, the problem was there were five of us writing an idea that really needed the mastery of one author because yeah. it was sort of a, it was kind of a, a chemical crime mystery. <laughs> you know that genre that's yeah. just tearing up the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know who could have killed that genre? Who? Sorkin. 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 <laughs> oh, he would nail. Are you kidding me? The drug. We yes, he would have been the speech of all time. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what you, you guys follow along. It's just you, you, you sort of learn it by degrees. Um, I think you, you know, if you're a fan of movies, you sort of like tend to absorb stuff. Mm-hmm. I think there is there is something special and different to people that have a bit of that sketch background, though, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I find that the writers that I know that have, that that have performed sketches or that have some sort of sketch background working in their past. They 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 will not allow a scene to be inert 
any any scene. Mm-hmm. If you do that thing where you're trying to you know do something and make it make it work in three minutes, you're not going to you're not going to allow for a non dramatic scene. Where a lot of writers that I see that come out of film school or or sometimes you read those early scripts and you might read a couple of scenes where it's like, well, that scene kind of just lies there on the page. It doesn't mm-hmm. really go anywhere. Uh, I mean, do you think that sketch has has sketch? The sketch yeah. you did then does it help with what you do now? I think I think well, this is why I think we got along is because acting mm-hmm. scenes were religion. We mm-hmm. wanted those wider theatrical scenes to sort of have a place in in the series, right? Yeah, we yeah. all actors. We, we all, all come from acting backgrounds. We all, yeah. we all we all like actors, which I think is a really really important thing if you're going to write a certain type of television. You mm-hmm. have to love actors, and I'm actually stunned, you know, mm-hmm. how uh, how often you run into people who don't. Love actors. In the industry, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, actors, yeah, there's, I mean, I've been one, and, and yeah. I've dealt with them, and I know the prima donna stuff, it's all true, all the cliches are true, but it's like, you have to love acting and interaction between actors and stuff like that, and their ability to, you know, you don't have to do it all with the camera, you can just put the camera on the right actor's face, and you got, like, and we, and we learned, especially with our cast, we learned that like after the first season, or even partway through the first season, we were realizing the kind of chops that they had, and mm-hmm. just we could let them just be and do their thing and rewrite for them and rewrite yeah. for them and, mm-hmm. and and you know some sometimes even a silent moment. But we always wanted to make sure that you know from the that is the great lesson of starting the series is when uh, and, and I remember Lauren Michaels was the first one who said that he said you know because I. And I first went there and write these scripts, and I would give her these really tense notes to the actors and stuff like that. And he said, "Mark, you've got to understand. You know, there's a certain point that happens on Thursday after read through. Your sketch has been picked, but now, you know, the actors are going to fuck you over." So <laughs> 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 right to the strength. Like, and they're going to end right to their strengths, and that's it. And that's and 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 I think actually the, your worst enemy when you're starting a series is uh, is the people who worked on the pilot, which yeah. is us. Because mm-hmm. you kind of go, oh, I know what it is, and you're not fitting the mold. Get into the suit. Where is it? You know, and you, know, you, have, to, you have to follow the... Uh, yeah, especially bouncing so ball. You said yeah. earlier in the first season, I mean, I don't think the, the, the show got its sea legs till about episode five when we started to really mm. feel what everybody was doing and what... The, what what that ensemble was creating, and we could go, oh, yeah. yeah. And there was a great lesson, and the, the, the episode that really kind of worked early, early, before episode three. seven, which... Three. Three. Well, three was the first episode one we shot. The first one we shot, which we sort of shot as a test episode, because we were going to then shoot the pilot. So yeah. we sort of, like, threw out the one that was a little bit casual, that we'd written a little faster, that we hadn't kind of, like, bumped to sort of test everything out, and that thing worked a treat. Uh, and then when we got to the shot the pilot next, it was like, yes, all of us going, this is not how I saw it. Yeah. You know, and it was a little stiffer. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, other or questions? Could you talk about um, pitching the, the pilot episode, actually, and the challenges you face with, like, Story Engine? Like, what were you able to say to the broadcasters to, like, snap focus so that they were like, okay, I get it, five seasons. Everybody in this room is going to be insanely rich. <laughs> Does anyone want to leave? <laughs> Are you talking about the actual, like, pitching the show originally? Yeah, or? yeah initially pitching the series. Well, that was, that, that was, I mean, that was Marvin and I coming out of the NSI, which was part of the project, was that we had to pitch three networks. and uh, it, Totally television. Uh, totally television at the NSI, yeah. And uh, because we come from a, an acting background, 
having a pitch is much uh, a lot of rehearsal is a lot of work uh, it's, and it's it, putting on a small little little show, show. and uh, we were pretty you know we had a pretty good idea of what the show was uh, the biggest bump I think what the challenge was for networks was whose point of view uh, were we seeing this from and then we kind of got that from uh, Diane. Uh, that, was, that was way in the back. Yeah. yeah. Is, it, is it the father story? Is it the show? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, of course, you always want to pitch, well, it's an ensemble piece. And they don't go for that. Yeah, a lot of them don't, won't. They can't see things from more than two, two sets, one set of eyes. So they want to know who's the perspective. So we settled on Sheldon, you know, Sheldon is the sane person in this family. He is the, he is the everyman that people will relate to. But that's a useful discussion to have. I think you you wound yeah. up with a stronger, with a good lodestar habit. And I remember when that conversation was going on. Mm-hmm. And I think I I think I was when you when you were going back. I yeah. At one point, you felt it was Sam, and and and, mm-hmm. and I think that you know we had a few discussions where it's inevitably it's got to be Sheldon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. actually, you know, he is like the straight man of the show. Pretty yeah, much. he's yeah. the one where you know who, all this. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. amazing. Yeah. He doesn't get a lot, a lot of uh, as much credit for the comedy that he's able to do, just being this straight person among these insane people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, well, well, that was that was sort of the premise character. Uh, sorry, character premise that yeah. he pitched over and over, which is that he is a leader who doesn't know of men. He just doesn't know it yet. Yeah, because he's in this body and he's fifteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all the qualities are there, and he is the only adult in his family. So he's b- and but we see that mm-hmm. we see he knows a little bit of that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We had a question here. Uh, I've seen the, that opening scene. Well, it's not the opening scene. I think it is because I've seen it three times with Wendell going into a fugue stake, mm-hmm. state. And and when you were writing it, knowing Wendell's abilities, did you go? We can really go here. Yeah. And, Mm-hmm. Sort of, I already know the answer to the question, so I'm asking it for the room. Um, she's such a fine, wonderful actress that I, I almost wanted to see more of that. Yeah, what was happening. So, how did you? Uh, just a little bit more about the process of where you landed on. You talked a little bit about it and how you went from it was it was Sheldon's character to her. Mm-hmm. How did you limit yourselves? I guess. Limit ourselves. How, how did you decide that's enough? In terms of, of what we show? I mean, because it could have gone on. I mean, you said in the, the scene when, when uh, Marion comes home that it was, it was too much and you wanted to cut. Right. So that just, for me, that's perfect, what yeah. happens with, in that, that sequence. So just, I don't know, I want to hear more about how you, how you arrived at that. How, you, how we arrived at, like, the picking of the, the, the story? And no, just... Just the whole thing? The whole thing. A little more about it, a little more detail. Because um, it's such fine television, it really is. Okay, well, like we said before, we were carrying the one thing. We knew that we owed, we had to explain one thing, or we felt we had to explain mm-hmm. one thing, which is what happened with Sheldon and Miriam, because that shot that you see in the teaser, no, come back, you know, is almost the last scene of the, of the, of the second season. season. Certainly the season two. Mm-hmm. of season two. So we owed an explanation for that. Everything yeah. else we could move on from. Now we just had to explain Sam. And I think this is almost the chain of thought. Uh, so, you know, and Maury passed away, and I think all of us got phone calls, you know, friendly ones, well-intentioned ones. Well, there could be an uncle, there could be that. Oh, yeah. And I think it just kind of went hang on all of us, like, no, we're missing something. And I think quickly it switched to the death is the story. The death, and then beyond that it went sort of, oh, the death is the season. And then it was the, oh, the death is uh, dealing with the death, because I'd just gone through it, and, and, and Wendell actually. Uh, yeah, and I went through it. The, uh, the mother. 
uh, it was like it was like boy, you can really have this thing happen. And if it happens at the end of uh, episode one, then in episode two, they are in that kind of you know, they're just starting to emerge from that. And then they have to get back to life, which you know uh, uh, happens really quickly. And that yeah. gave us the trip mm-hmm. yeah. that we yeah. used. and then we had work to do. And then that's how we settled uh, settled on it. But in terms of knowing, sorry guys, uh, as far as that future state of our actors, yeah, we knew. I mean, we have we have Cadillac actors; they're Mm -hmm. thoroughbred, and uh, all of them. I I don't think any of us questioned the the depths that we could stretch them when we were going to say we are going to put the family through this death. But but Uh, there's a funny element in terms of specifically that fugue state in episode one with Wendell too. That it, it reminds me of. There's a you ever heard of the Uncanny Valley? It's something they talk about. In yeah. the unc- it's a thing in animation where they, when when they make these computer animation things with photorealistic, will will we love a cartoon character and we love you know and we can uh, we can totally see humanity in little mice and in, and in cartoon things like The Incredibles, but the closer it gets to photorealism, and it's what we what we do is we magnify what's what's off about it. And so that you see something like the Beowulf thing, and it doesn't quite right. like polar mm-hmm. polar express, and it's kind of creepy. creepy it doesn't quite yeah, work, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and it kind of makes you revulsion. And it, it strikes me about the fugue state thing. The thing that's so perfectly balanced about that is if it, if it goes on, if you if you stretched it a little bit longer, everybody would be like, all right, clearly this woman's not there. She's not real, and blah blah blah. And it would be kind of disappointing in a way. Wouldn't is that something that you you know? How long can you keep up that scene? In, in terms of her, in terms of Anne's journey in it, well, I think, I think some of that comes down to editing too. When you actually see it all pieced together, and you see the scenes put together, and you kind of go, because there's literally times where you, you literally have to kill scenes that you love, yeah. but for the flow of the the actual show, it doesn't really, it doesn't work. It, yeah. In the end, it doesn't work. Oh yeah, that's that's a, that was also a huge discovery on this yeah. show. Uh, yeah. They don't tell you in writing Academy, which is that uh, when you sh- when your episode is shot. Like fully a third of the creative work is in the editing room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's the third time it's written. Story. It's the two second pause before you let the camera slide over to see someone that just does everything. Mm-hmm. Just capturing a look or a moment or a laugh. Here's a good writer trick: mm-hmm. try and imagine your characters having the same interaction but without words. Oh yes, that helps you with the stage direction to understand the picture that you will be presenting. Tip number seven. <laughs> <laughs> this is all part of Mark McKinney's 72 uh, CD set available at fine stores yeah. everywhere. Uh, we got a question here. Yeah, uh, it's actually kind of similar. You know, you have this, this, this faith and knowledge about your core cast, so you know what they can pull off. But my question is, is like, even as a writer, like, do you guys ever like freak out about, oh my God, we've just come up with this idea of, of the girl in a wheelchair. Now we have to find like this absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that was a huge play that so beautifully, but then she has to like nail this monologue as yeah. well. Like, can you, like, how do you, do you just like forget it? You just, no, no, no. We've been, we've been tremendously spoiled. And I, yeah. I kid you not, the cast is extraordinary. Uh, I don't know how much of it had to do with us. I think that we agreed that Maury, we knew that he was famous. Maury and Jesse. Maury was actually like probably the first person that we. I'm not even sure it was our idea no. to bring our final choices for all the other parts together in a room and sort of bring in Anne's and bring in, uh, you know, a Sheldon. Sheldon we knew uh, mm-hmm. was was there, but you're right. You have to find it. The role of Danny Lubeck 
the feral child oh, son, yeah. which I think is like which is a character a lot of people enjoy. Which Gary was a pure Gary Campbell creation. Mm. I'm sure you'll recognize uh, uh, other Garys. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, you know, of course, it's, he's, he's out of his mind. But the thing is, you have to; it has to be played three dimensional. That was one of the hardest hunts that we. I still remember watching those tapes, and we weren't satisfied with anything. We were like, you got down to the point of like, well, what's well, good enough? And yeah. then a yeah. video yeah. Yeah. came yeah. in from an audition from Vancouver exactly. from Tyler. Exactly we, what, you what we wanted, and, and I remember we watched it, and we watched it again, and then Gary came into the room, and he watched. He was watching it on our computer. He's like, well. Why, we cast why, them. We didn't even call them back. Yeah. yeah, we were actually doing callbacks. We were like, we were callbacks with people that we were like, I hope this works, you know. And then we got this magical. I remember it came in at 10 p.m. and I clicked the link, and it was like, I phoned Myron and go, Myron, you have to watch this link. You have to watch it. Okay, and it was just like, this is it. And so yeah, you have those yeah. moments. You have those moments. He, he actually did a blood ties of mine a couple of years ago. And it was, it was so funny, too, because when I remember watching the f- season two, the fir- first time he comes on screen, it's like, oh, you got that guy? That guy's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, it really is. You really did love that with actors in that show. We have time for a couple more questions. How about Gary? How about you? Yeah, I was just going to say just a comment about the sketch comedy influence on it, because just watching the, uh, the scene with Peter Callahan, and that could have yep. Yep. Been a sketch. And the uh, the kid who doesn't want to be in wrestling, and the, and the coach is too familiar with his ass. I mean, these are, these are yep. if you never saw the show, and you just played those as pieces, I mean, maybe you know, people will find that funny. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but you mentioned the character Danny, and I wondered, I didn't know that how much Gary had to do with that character, but I, I was wondering if the fact that Sheldon is so anchored and methodical that you guys created Danny to, you know, throw throw acid on that and just have this guy who's like a total loose cannon. If that was part of the thinking of that. Yeah, I think we needed mm-hmm. that for high school, yeah? Yeah, because, yeah. We we, yeah, we wanted to populate the Sheldon's, uh, some of Sheldon's social life with people on the extremes, like a little bit of the outsiders. Mm-hmm. And, and when... When Gary came in with this idea for oh, this yeah. wild kid who I just is spontaneous, where, where we first see this kid, but it's, it's like running down a hallway punching people. Yeah, yeah. second season, third episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he, the first time we see him, he's like way he's out of yeah. yeah, he does. Yeah. And there's, a, there, I mean, I think if you've all been in a high school where the kid arrives and tries too hard, yeah, yeah. that's that's Danny to the extreme with with really severe ADD and hyperactivity. No, he, star- he starts out by pounding people and then says, "We're best friends now." Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was great. Yeah, no, he's yeah, he's desperate at that point. And and Tyler's great. We had a question uh, back there in the. Uh, yes. Yes, um, uh, I was just curious actually about the editing. Well, with editing, there's always, I feel, there's always lots of ha- happy accidents. I think uh, uh, it's right. You, you basically get to, a chance to see the smaller things in a performance that maybe when you're on the floor you don't necessarily see. Also, it's a great working with an editor who, who, you know, who can guide you along and find things that perhaps you don't see in a scene. And yeah, yeah, uh, I, there have been times in, in editing where we've just like expressed emotionally what we feel is missing in the scene, and we have this 
gifted, a few gifted editors, where they can go, okay, I get that. Give me, give me, give a me a day, or or give me a day, day and, and I'll you come back, and they've reshaped the scene to exactly what. And you're like, oh, you, you I just want to, you want to kiss them, you want to have them, like, thank and you. you. Do. <laughs> not ashamed. No, but and you buy whiskey for them. The enthusiasm of, of uh, boy, does it help when your crew loves your show. Yeah, your yeah. Producers love your show because they will go looking like Craig Webster and yeah, and, uh, Matt Hanna, Bruce Lang, your skills and you know uh, Bruce, yeah, Bruce, Bruce Lang. Lang. Um, All right, uh, last question. We have, we have one, one down here, I think. Uh, it was more of a structural thing, something you said earlier, but is it normal to have the chance to do, or do you do the third episode before you film the pilot? Is that a we didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we really didn't know. That was like a good idea. Yeah. We, we, had, we had the first, I think, six in script form, and they just uh, we were just trying to figure out which no, is the best. that was Iris' idea, wasn't it? Which yes, kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, it can really pay off. I mean, the idea, the idea, of course, is is Absolutely. sort of like you shoot yes. the you shoot the shoot the third uh, episode and kind of get everybody kind of loose and and ready to go. So when you hit the pilot, which is sort of your 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 yeah, entry point, yeah, everybody knows what they're doing and. Uh, it, it, it kind of it, it worked, but it kind of did, didn't. Well, it was like it was well, yeah, that's it, that seems to me to be a fluky thing that happened to you guys because uh, I mean it's a it's an ongoing problem, especially in one hour dramas in, in Canada. Often is when when they shoot when you shoot the pilot and the pilot is the and often on some of these shows the pilot is the weakest episode and, mm-hmm. and that that becomes a real problem. You know, well, well I know for us the pilot. We had worked on that in development for so long mm-hmm. that when we finally got the green light to go, we worked on everything else. And as as we progressed, the scripts got we, we, we were writing the scripts and writing to the characters, and we and we didn't look back on that first one for a very long time until it was shot. And then you realized that that the show had evolved, and then suddenly you're back to the beginning. You're like, oh, we've grown from what that was into something else here, and now. You, we looked, and the and the pilot looked almost uh, like a different creature from mm-hmm. from the the show that I ended. Hate the pilot. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I, the pilot is. I, I think it's one of the. Yeah, it's it the most disappointing uh, episodes <laughs> yeah. for us. Less uh, less than kind airs uh, Sunday nights on the Movie Network, HBO Canada in in Canada, and it's actually on Direct TV in the United States. Yes, yes, yes it is. And if you're in South Africa, it's on uh, Sony in, 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 in Germany. Uh, thank you very much, Mark McKinney, Chris Shaysgreen, and Marvin Kay for sh- uh, sharing with us today. It's a really terrific series. Thank you. And we, uh, are thrilled to have you here. Thanks Glad for having to find Thanks, Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at writerstalkingtv at gmail.com. That's writerstalkingtv, all one word, at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please log on to iTunes and leave us positive feedback because it helps increase the profile of the show. This podcast is sponsored by the Writers Guild of Canada. The show's technical producer is Philip Vukovic. I'm Dennis McGrath, reminding you of just one of the many moments of wisdom from the kids in the hall. You, I'm crushing your head. <laughs>